Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. As we begin to prepare for the Christmas season, let's talk about what all that means as we prepare our hearts for worship, because it is the season. Let's listen. Thank you so much for that. That's wonderful. Well, we have arrived at the season of Advent, and Advent means coming, and it's the coming of the Christ child. It is the coming of Jesus born into our world. It is the coming of the Messiah. And so this Advent season here in the church, it's all about preparing our hearts to hear this message again that Jesus has been born. It's about preparing ourselves to realize that God has chosen to come to earth. That's an incredible message. One that should never get old or stale, but should always be the most important, vibrant message that we resonate on and hear each and every year. So with this incredible message, my question as I kind of approached this week was what's the proper response? As a Christian, as a community of faith, what is our proper response to such an incredible message? And no, I don't think it's about buying the right presents or getting the perfect tree, although those are admirable goals for this season as well. But I believe that there is one primary response that we can have as Christians to this particular season. And we see that response in the story of the wise men. You see, the wise men, they traveled a great distance for one reason— and one reason only. I wonder if you'll be able to discover that reason in these two verses from Matthew chapter 2. We are told that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship. The wise men came to worship Jesus. That is why they traveled so far from their homes. They traveled so far in order to worship. Uh, That's why they risked their lives with King Herod, the most powerful person in that whole country. They risked their lives in order to worship. Worship is what drove those wise men to worship at the feet of this newborn child, this Christ child. Now, I believe that worship too should be our response to this season. Yes, there's so much to do. There's so many things to get ready for. Your calendar probably has filled up immensely over the next couple of weeks. But in the the midst of all of that, how can we keep our response to this season to be a response of worship. I want us to be thinking and wondering about that this morning. Now, worship, that's something we all recognize, right? We know the word. We know what it is to worship. But if someone asked you, okay, how would you define it? If they said, write it down on a bulletin right now, worship is, what do you think you would write? Again, as I found myself wondering that this last week to say, okay, well, what really is worship? If that's 
our response to the Christ child, what I did is I went back in time and I said, okay, what did the earliest expressions of church do? And what did they say when they thought of worship? You know, when they were crafting a church service and said, this, this is worship, what did that look like? And what I found is that there were five essential elements that were a part of every Christian worship service in the first and second centuries in Christianity. So I'm going to ask you again, if someone asked you, what are five things that you would expect to be at every church service you went to, what would you write down? What would you include on that list? What would you say these things have to be a part of how we worship? Here's what the early church included. These five things, they said the times of prayer, times of song, the Lord's table, a time of offering, and a reading and interpretation of the word. Those five things were present in every Christian worship service in the first couple centuries of Christianity. Now, admittedly, I may be the only one who finds this next part interesting, but I found there's a a letter written in 150 AD, so way back in the second century, and it's from a pastor. And this pastor writes about what is a typical church service. I loved reading about that, and I, I grabbed an excerpt for you guys as well, because what I want you to do is say, okay, what am I seeing that's similar to how we still worship today 2,000 years later? And what might be different in what we see from the second century all the way to today? So this man's name was Justin Martyr. He's an early church pastor. And here's what he says. He says, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. So notice what they're calling the Bible or scripture. They're saying those are the memoirs of the apostles. Those are the writings of the prophets. And how long were those read for? It's not a 20-minute sermon, is it? (laughs) It's as long as time permits, however long that may be. I don't know. But what I find really interesting is that they all gather together in one place. It didn't matter where you lived. If you were in the city, if you were in the countryside, you left where you were on Sunday and you gathered together in one place for the reading of Scripture. Because people did not have Bibles of their own. I mean, think about it. There was no printing press in this time in history. Uh, We are so blessed to live in a time of life where we all have our own Bibles at home that you can read on your own. And if you don't, you can go on Amazon today and it'll be there tomorrow for you to read. That was not true in the second century. And so what you have happening is Christians gather from far places all in one central place and there, once a week, they would read scripture together. Now the writer, the pastor goes on. He says, then... When the reader has ceased, the pastor verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation 
of these good things. This is what we today would call the sermon, right? This is what's happening right now, where we take the words of Scripture and then we apply it to how we're actually living today. It's to say, okay, this is what we just read. This is what we see happening in the Bible. And here's what we can do with it in our day and age, in our particular time that we live in. They did the same thing back then. And he goes on. He says, then we all rise together and pray. And as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. And the pastor in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability. And the people assent saying, amen. Here we see both prayer and communion being central to the latter half of the worship service. So they begun with a reading of scripture for as long as time permits. The pastor talks about those scriptures, applies it to their lives, and then when that's done, they have prayers of thanksgiving together. They have communion together. And what I really love is, is they were prayers communally of things that they were thankful for. And they were centered around communion, saying, God, we're so thankful for your sacrifice. We're so thankful for what you did on the cross. God, we, these are the things in our lives as a church that are bubbling up in thanksgiving. And then here's how the services were ended. He says, and then they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the pastor who gives to the orphans and widows and those who, through sickness or any other cause, are in want. And those who are in jail and the strangers sojourning among us. And in a word, takes care of all who are in need. Yes, the church service ends exactly like our church service ends today with an offering. It's to say, okay, who is in need right now in our community? And then how can we gather what we have to provide for those needs, for those widows and those orphans, those who are in jail, those who are just traveling through? How can we provide for them right here right now. So when we take part in these elements of offering, of scripture, of prayers together, of communion, we are following a pattern of the church that the church has had since its very beginning. Yes, when you come here and you study scripture together, when you take part in an offering together, when you come forward for communion together as the body of Christ, you are literally connecting with the earliest expressions of the Christian church. And all of these elements, when we combine them together, this is what we call worship. Now, the astute among you might notice that one thing that I listed in the first initial five essential elements of worship was not included on this list. And what was left out was a time of song. Now, that time of song, even though Justin Martyr did not include it, a lot of the writings from around this time period, dating all the way back to our scriptures, they have song, music, 
being one of those essential elements to every Christian worship service. Here's an example. Paul writes the church in Ephesus, and he says, when you gather together, uh, when you're in church, in worship together, he wants them to do this. He says, be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, when I was younger, I always kind of equated the word of worship with singing. I really thought, okay, when you say worship, what you mean is you're singing. Those are the songs that we sing. And this depressed me a little bit. No judgment. Because I was really bad at singing. I did not have a musical bone in my body. And it was really quite surprising because I came from a very musical family. Uh, my mom, she taught piano lessons. My dad sang in the, the local chorale. Uh, even today, my younger brother lives in New York City and he composes music for Broadway theater. And I said, really, I got none of that? Not, nothing? It's all over there? Okay, all right. I mean, my parents, they, they were really trying to force it, going, well, surely there's some talent in there d deep down. So they made me um, take violin for two years in fifth and sixth grade. And you may not know this about violin, but if you're really going to progress, uh, you need to practice. Uh, I never did. And so finally they said, all right, you can quit when they caught me at the performances and I was just pretending to play. I would not put any pressure down on the strings. I would just go back and forth and pretend to play. So again, no musical bone in my body. And yet I appreciate it, right? I like singing. I like to be around it. I, I'm moved when I'm able to be a, a part of really excellent music in worship. But if you're like me, and I know some of you probably are, it can't just be me, maybe wondering, why is there so much of an emphasis of songs in worship? Well, I think the, the answer to that is a service of worship is meant to move our thoughts from us to God, right? That's the whole movement of worship. It's moving us away from ourselves and moving our thoughts up to God. That's what worship is all about. And I recognize that we do not start there. When you came into church roughly 35 minutes ago, your mind, your thoughts were probably in a million different places. Uh, you were probably thinking about what it took to get ready for your day to even come to church today. Uh, maybe you sat down and you started thinking about what's coming up next. What's on your to-do list even this afternoon? Uh, maybe your body was sending your signals. You're going, oh, I'm kind of hungry for brunch already. I'm, I'm thinking about that. Uh, maybe you're just wondering, is my team going to win today, right? Our thoughts come in a, a million different directions when we sit down to church. And God is sometimes third or fourth or fifth on that list initially when we come in. So a part of worship, is intentionally refocusing our thoughts upon God. And I believe that engaging in song is a major way that we do that refocusing. I mean, think about it. 
when you are immersed in salt, truly immersed in it, you're not thinking about anything else, are you? You're feeling the beat of the song. You're going along with the tempo. You are really immersed in the lyrics of whatever that particular song is singing. Songs and worship are part of how we as a body of Christ recenter ourselves to say, okay, I know when I leave this place, there's going to be a million other things for me to do. But for right now, this is my focus. I am singing my praise and worship to God. I mean, did you know that the largest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms? There's 150 of them. And we read them today, but they're not meant to be read. They're meant to be sung. The book of Psalms were all written to music. This is the ancient church's song book. They began and ended almost every worship service by singing a psalm. And that dates all the way back to the time of King David, thousands of years ago. So when we begin and end our worship services with a song, we are following in that same pattern. Let me give you an example. Here's Psalm 103, and I'm going to read it to spare you. (laughs) But I want you to imagine what it would sound like to be sung. Here's what David says. He says, bless the Lord. O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So worship, when you're singing those words, when you really engage in those words, that is you saying, God, all that is within me wants to be praising you. That's what this is all about. And again, you may not be there at the beginning of the service. At the beginning of the service, maybe 50% of you is ready to fully worship God. But by the end, by the time you walk out of these doors, I hope that you are fully immersed, that your heart is ready to say all that is within me is going to praise the Lord. Here's how Psalm 103 ends. David says, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hopes, You, his servants, who do his will, praise the Lord. Everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom, praise the Lord, my soul. So who is praising God? It is all of God's angels. It is all of God's heavenly hosts. It is everything that God has created, and that includes you, and that includes me. We all join together in praise and worship of our creators. That's one reason that Sunday mornings are so important. Because that's what you're doing when you gather together in a community of faith to say we are redirecting our hearts to where they need to be. We are engaging in worship and praise of God. That is true for you today, sitting here as a part of the church, That's true if you're watching online right now. You're a part of what we're doing as well, recentering your heart, even on the many distractions that might be around you to say, what I'm doing right now is I am engaging in worship. Yeah, when you come to unity, we praise God together. We worship God together and we allow then the process of worship to reorient 
our total perspective because it reminds us who we are. We are a creation of God and we are meant to worship our creator. So my challenge for you is to use the songs that we sing as living and breathing prayers to God. If you're like me, you may not be very creative on your own when you are praying to God. And that's okay. Use these songs as your prayers. May the lyrics of these songs, as you sing them or as you hear them sung, incorporate them as your prayers, saying, God, this is for you. These are my words to you. I wonder, what if we envisioned this whole Advent season that we're preparing for as one song of worship to God? I mean, what if in the midst of all the different things that you have to do and the different things you get to do during this season, if you were able to, in your heart, sing a song of praise to God throughout it all, what do you think that would look like? Well, I wonder if it would look like a little bit like this. Get the band back together. Get the symphony. Get the children's choir. Get the high school marching band. And the dancers. Don't forget the dancers. We're going to play a new song. All of us. Everyone. This will be God's song. It's part of him. And it's been given to us. And we will sing it from the tallest buildings. It will be the greatest song of all. We will sing it when we are low. We will sing it when we are on a mountain. It is a song of the universe. From its beginning to the present moment. Now. This moment. And it will go on forever because God goes on forever. This is God's song. God the creator. God the good. God the just. God who brushes his opposers off like dust from his shoulders. God the mighty and God the merciful. People will sing this song. People will dance to this song. No critics allowed. They will be stopped dead in their tracks. Their words will be turned against them because today, today we will sing. Today the baby is born. Today the angels break forth. Today darkness cowers in the corner. Today wrongs are righted, prophecies are fulfilled, wounds are healed, the hungry stomachs are filled. Today we all get adopted. Today Jesus comes to earth. Yes, Jesus, the Messiah. And this is the song we sing. This song will heal the world. This song is the song of our Savior. He is born. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is born. The song of our Savior is being sung right now. The song is this story. This story that has broken into the world and is your heart able to match the tune of this song? That's really the question before us this season of Advent. Seeing that video, it, it reminded me of, of probably one of the, the most big and, and massive displays of worship in response to the news of Jesus. 
and it came from the angels. Yes, when the angels heard that this was happening, that the Messiah was here, they called it good news of great joy for all people, and they burst out into a heavenly chorus of worship in response to this news. Uh, Luke picks it up in chapter 2. He says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God. That is what worship is all about. Glory to God. That is us saying, God, you are worthy of all honor and praise and glory that we can provide. So can you sing a song of worship this Advent season? Can, can you sing a song saying, God, glory to you in the highest heaven? Well, a part of how we do that is right here on Sunday mornings. And the last song that you're going to hear sung today has a very familiar refrain. The familiar refrain of Gloria in Excelsis Deo, translated as glory to God in the highest. When we sing that song to close out our service, as churches have done since the times of King David, make that your song. Make those words your words as we praise God together. And even before that, you'll have an opportunity to be led into worship. We really have a gift of people who say, I'm going to dedicate my time I'm going to practice. I'm going to come in on Wednesdays all so that we as the community of faith can immerse ourselves in the song, can immerse ourselves in the worship, making their lyrics your lyrics and your prayer. So as you hear this next song, make it your prayer of Advent as well. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.